If Joshua had lived in our time, I think that song would have been his testimony as he looked back across his life and wrapped up his ministry. At the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, about 1,600 public libraries were built across our country, several of them in the state of Michigan. Some of you may recognize a few of these pictures as libraries in Michigan. These libraries were all built in the name of Andrew Carnegie. Some of the buildings even have the Carnegie name on them. If you were to step onto almost any college or university campus in the United States, you would see buildings bearing other names, names of important people in the college's history or names of big financial benefactors. The reality is most of us in this room watching online will never have the kind of funding or influence where they'll name buildings after us. But the reality is also we can leave a legacy as we think about those who come after us. And it really doesn't matter what your age is. There is somebody who is younger than you, somebody who is looking toward you for guidance and for direction and for example. That's where we come in the book of Joshua this morning. And so I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. We'll be beginning with verse 28. After seven months working our way through this book, we come to the final section of the book. And this last section talks about legacy. Joshua lived much of his life in the shadow of Moses For 40 years, he was Moses' assistant during those wilderness wandering years. And even as he comes into his own as the leader of Israel, even as this book that bears his name that he may well have written most of it uh, unfolds, Moses is still a significant figure. 58 times Moses is referred to in the book of Joshua. No doubt there were people who looked at Joshua at times and said, yeah, he's no Moses, but he was the man God had placed in that position for that time. And so we read in verse 29 of this chapter, after these things, Joshua Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And two things stand out for me in that verse. The first is that if Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, he didn't write this verse. At least I assume he didn't write this verse or the rest of this chapter. The other thing is more subtle. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. That is a title that is not used often for people in the Old Testament. But it is used often for Moses. In fact, 18 times in the book of Joshua, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. But this is the first time that Joshua is called that. And it's a reminder to us that as we come to the end of his life, he really did have an impact. He really did leave a legacy. So let's back up to verse 28 and let's read through this passage and then let's step back and think about What does it mean? How do we leave a legacy? So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. 
Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah in the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. And you might read through those verses and say, okay, so what? I mean, we got three funerals or at least three burials that take place. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with leaving a legacy? Well, maybe you noticed as we read through those verses, there's a word that gets repeated. It's the word inheritance three times. And then kind of the same concept as the book ends, the town which had been given to him. The, the point of that repetition is that they are in the land. And the legacy lesson that Joshua teaches us here is to help the next generation lay hold of their place in God's plan. See, we live in a selfish culture. We live in a culture of, you know, get what belongs to me, get mine and hang on to it. That is exactly the opposite of Joshua's attitude. In fact, what Joshua shows us as he leaves this legacy is that we need to help those who are coming behind us. And there will always be challenges to doing that. For Joshua, it was the challenge of bringing a group of complaining whiners out of the desert, across the Jordan River, and into a land of cities and armies and battles. Let's flash back for a moment to where we began this study. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, there's that phrase, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. So there's the responsibility, there's the job, there's the task that Joshua is given. He is called to lead. He's called to lead in changing times. He's called to lead when there are challenges. And change brings challenge. I read a while back about a group of commuters in England who are standing at the railroad station waiting for their usual train to take them to work. And a sleek, brand new engine and cars pulled into the station and the station master announced that this was the 6.10 a.m. train. And everybody just stood there and looked at it. Nobody got on. The train pulled out. A little while later, the old rattle-trap diesel train that they were used to pulled in, and they all got on the train. Change is hard. A reporter was sent to interview a man who had just had his 100th birthday. And he said to the man, wow. You've lived a hundred years. You must have seen a lot of changes. And the man said, yes, sir, Sonny, and I've been against every one of them. <laughs> change is hard. And Joshua was called to lead change. Leadership changed. 
It was no longer Moses. It was Joshua. And Joshua was what they needed in that time. Their lifestyle changed. No longer are they now in the wilderness, but they are in the land and they're fighting battles for seven years. How they're directed changes. There's no pillar of fire and pillar of cloud anymore. There's just Joshua and the elders of Israel saying, okay, this is what we're doing next. There's no manna any longer. And those are just a few of the many things that changed for Israel as Joshua led them into the land. You know, if you and I are going to have an impact on the next generation, there will be challenges. There will be changes. There is in our country no longer a quote-unquote Christian base. You know, there was a time when you could talk to people about God and sin, and they knew what you meant. That time is long gone. There was a, a time when somebody like Billy Graham could hold up the Bible and say, the Bible says, and people would nod in assent. People don't respect the authority of God's Word any longer. As you talk to this generation that's coming up, many of them come out of broken homes. You talk to them about God being our Father, and they may have a very wrong picture of what that means. There's going to be challenges. Sin in our culture is now celebrated instead of hidden. Technology's exploding. The whole development and expansion of AI is going to have an impact on how we impact and reach the next generation. There are going to be changes. There are going to be challenges. And in the midst of all of those, we're still called upon to help the next generation lay hold of their place in God's plan. Because while there will be challenges, we can help them claim God's promises. Challenge and change, yes, but God doesn't change. And His promises are always faithful. I want you to think about the fact that much of Joshua's later years, what we could, would consider to be his senior citizen years, those were spent helping the next generation conquer the land. Helping the next generation gain their inheritance. In fact, we're told in the book of Joshua, he finally gets his inheritance, but he doesn't get to enjoy it too long before death comes to call. For 500 years, since the time of Abraham, Israel had been waiting for and looking for the land. Joshua helps them get it. He takes a band of wanderers across the Jordan River, and by the time he passes off the scene, a nation is beginning to form. And so inheritance is a key word in this passage. And it actually serves as a contrast to verse 32, where it says, Jacob bought land from the sons of Shechem. He bought that land because they didn't own it. Remember, Abraham also bought a burial place for Sarah when she died. But now, now the land is their inheritance. It belongs to them. Joshua leads the next generation to inherit the land that God promised to them. We can help the next generation claim God's promises. God's promises are always faithful. That is part of the point of the three burials in this chapter, by the way. Probably Joseph was buried earlier in time frame in the conquest of the land. We assume that they, they didn't carry him around the whole time of battle, but we don't know. But he's recorded here in this chapter because 
whoever writes these last verses is, is developing a theme. Because you have Joshua and Eleazar who are buried in the land of promise. In fact, this is, at least theoretically, the tomb of Joshua in Israel today. Orthodox Jews gather there to pray at what they believe is Joshua's tomb. I don't know if it is or not, but I do know one thing. He was buried in the land, in peace. But not only was Joshua and Eleazar, not only were they buried there, and we don't know, Moses, did Moses get buried in the land? We don't know where God buried him. But Joseph was buried there. Do you remember the story? It's back in Genesis 50. Joseph is on his deathbed, and he made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin, probably a sarcophagus, in Egypt. And yet, almost 500 years, 400 years later, God fulfills the promise. And Joseph is buried in the land, in the land that becomes the inheritance of his tribe. It's a fitting conclusion to really the first six books of the Bible. Because the land, the blessing that was lost in the garden is promised to Abraham, a land, a place where God would dwell with them. And now as we come to the end of Joshua, that promise has been kept. And Joseph reminds us of that. If you and I are going to leave a legacy behind us, then we need to help the next generation lay hold of their place in God's plan. That doesn't mean that we can make them inherit. It doesn't mean that we can make them follow God, but we can guide them. We can point them in the right way. We can show them how God wants to use them and encourage them. So what are we doing to help the next generation? You know, that begins with pointing them to Jesus, pointing to them to what we just sang about a few moments ago, pointing them to the fact that, that God loves them so much that he sent his son to live among us and die for us, and he was raised from the dead, and through Jesus we can have a relationship with God and an eternal inheritance in heaven. That's the first way we leave a legacy. The most important way is that we point our children and our grandchildren to Jesus Christ as the answer for the problem of sin and a right relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. If you have children and grandchildren or great-grandchildren, I hope you're praying for them daily, regularly, praying that God would save them and guide them and direct them. We can encourage the next generation. We can actively serve them as we're able to do it. So we have people serving the next generation in the nursery, and our nursery just keeps adding babies week after week, it seems like. We have people serving the next generation in Sunday school and in Awana and Kids Church and Joyful Mom. When Paul tells in, in Titus and Timothy the older women to teach the younger, I don't think he's leaving us men out the older generations need to be training and teaching those who follow after them. We need to be ready to sacrifice to help them and to encourage them. We need to be ready to pass the baton on to them when it's time to do that. 
Pastor Bob Russell, in one of his books, tells the story of a 62-year-old son who nervously went into his 85-year-old father in the office to tell his 85-year-old father it was time for him to step down and give him the reins of the family business. The 85-year-old father looked at his 62-year-old son and said, forget it, grandpa just gave me the business three years ago. (laughs) You know, we can hang on too long. Because we think, well, the younger generation doesn't know how to lead. Well, if they don't, it's because we haven't trained them. We haven't taught them. Even the coming capital campaign is is an opportunity for us to influence the next generation and the generations that come behind us. Think about Tom Sloan, who came week after week and is now in heaven with Jesus. But but Tom left in his estate a gift to Berean some of which was used in the pastoral search, a big chunk of which is being used to help us with the future potential building program. That's a legacy that he left that will impact long after he is in heaven now. Some of you may have the ability to do that in your estate planning too. I encourage you to think about it. But whatever we do, we need to be thinking, how do I help others who are coming behind me? And again, it doesn't matter what your age is. There's somebody coming behind you that's looking up to you, even if they're only about this tall right now. But it's a two-way street. Those of you who are younger, you you need to realize we need to, to have intergenerational ministry, encouraging. You need to reach up to encourage the generations ahead of you. You need to honor them. You need to remember the sacrifices they have made to bring us to this point. You need to be patient when change doesn't happen, when the 85-year-old dad doesn't hand it off yet. Because we need together to build a legacy to the glory of God, because that's what it's really all about. It's not about how we're remembered. It's about God gaining the glory. There's a second critical legacy lesson in this passage. If we're going to leave a legacy We need to show the next generation what it means to obey God. We can lead others to their place in God's plan by our example. Or the reality is we can also turn them away from God by our negative example. And as we seek to show the next generation what it means to obey, there will be challenges. Joshua certainly had them. He had watched how the people of Israel responded to Moses in the wilderness, it couldn't have encouraged him. And then God, as Moses' life is ending, says to Moses and to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, Behold, you are going to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done, because they've turned to other gods. And Joshua had to say, yippee, I get to do that? I get to lead that group of people? And yet, as he faced those challenges as he faced those seven years of warfare to conquer the main part of the land, he did so knowing that God keeps his promises. There was a time in our culture where our culture supported biblical obedience in the way the culture reacted in the laws that were out there, but that time is largely past. I read just this week about a federal judge in Montana 
who issued an order blocking a new state law. That state law barred sexually oriented shows in state-funded schools and libraries, shows that were like drag story hours where performers adopted uh, sexually suggestive personas and costumes. And the judge said, you can't do that. Free speech. And I read that article and I thought, not only is biblical morality gone, common sense is gone. And that's the culture we live in. And you and I are called in that culture to show the next generation what it means to obey God. Well, how do we do that? We can model biblical obedience so that they see it. The culture isn't our friend, but our lives ought to demonstrate what it means to obey God. What a better legacy than thousands or millions of dollars or big properties to leave our children a legacy of seeing us follow and obey God. To have our grandchildren say, Grandma and Grandpa, they obeyed God. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Joshua's legacy, his heritage, was national obedience. Obeying God was what Joshua did. At least 15 times in the book, we find Joshua did, quote, as the Lord or as Moses or sometimes as the Lord and Moses commanded. He simply obeyed. We have an expression, I'm all ears. Well, I want you to meet Simba the goat. <laughs> World record, 23-inch long ears. He is literally all ears. But as I read about Simba and as I saw this picture, I, I thought, what a great word picture for us. That when it comes to what God has to say, we would be all ears. We would be listening. We would be obeying. Joshua was all ears. The book of Joshua is one of the most obedient times in all of Israel's history. In fact, in Nehemiah, we see a, a statement that Nehemiah and the people celebrated the, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, for the first time since the time of Joshua. See, wait a minute, it wasn't celebrated in the time of David? Nope. Solomon? Nope. Hezekiah? Nope. Joshua. It was a time of great obedience. In the whole book of Joshua, you only find two examples of failure to obey. One was at Jericho when, when Achan took what he wasn't supposed to take. And the other was when Israel made a peace treaty with Gibeon. For the rest of the book, it's just obedience, 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 obedience. All capped off by that strange verse, you wonder why it's there, of Israel obeying and burying Joseph's bones in the land because they were obedient. And Joshua was always quick to point to God, to give God the credit. The covenant name for God, Yahweh, Jehovah, is used over 150 times in the book. Most of the time, it's on Joshua's lips. Chapters 23 and 24, he points the people to God. Remember chapter 23, verse 14? And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. 
And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that Jehovah your God promised. It's not me. It's him. So obey him and follow him. And his personal example held the nation to obedience throughout his lifetime. And even after he died. The elders who outlived Joshua, who had served with Joshua, who had seen what God did, they also lead Israel in obedience. But we do have to give a caveat here, don't we? Because as parents and as grandparents, we can model obedience. It doesn't mean the next generation will do it. In fact, Joshua warned them in chapter 14, or 24, verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. And when we studied that verse, we said he's not saying it's impossible. He's saying it's impossible in your own strength. In New Testament terms, we can't serve unless the Spirit of God works within us and empowers us. And so we can model all we want for our children and grandchildren. If their hearts don't belong to God and they don't submit to God, they won't follow. But that's not on us if we've modeled obedience in fact, Joshua modeled obedience for his whole life. And the next generation, you know the book of Judges, they failed to obey. But we are called, whatever the outcome, to do what we know is right and to model that obedience, to leave a legacy by showing the next generation what obedience looks like. So do our lives, do our words challenge people to faithfulness and to obedience? A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me who my favorite Civil War general is. And I said, well, he was on the wrong side. But my favorite general in the Civil War is, is Thomas Jackson. Jackson was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. How he could rationalize fighting on that side, I don't understand fully, but it was a different time. At the first Battle of Bull Run... On July the 21st, 1861, the Confederate lines were crumbling under heavy Union assault. But Jackson and his soldiers stood on Henry House Hill firmly in the midst of that what seemed to be a lost cause because he had taught them and modeled for them discipline and obedience. And as the Confederate lines began to break, another general looked up at what Jackson and his men were doing and he said, there is Jackson standing like a stone wall, rally behind the Virginians. And they did and the tide of battle turned. And Thomas Jackson got his famous nickname of Stonewall Jackson, who by his life modeled what it meant to be courageous and obedient and firm and that's what God calls us to do as well. So that the next generation sees our honesty. It sees godliness in our speech. It sees how we interact with our neighbors and our co-workers. They see how our marriage exemplifies love and grace and forgiveness and Christ-likeness. They see how we handle our finances in a godly way. They see how we spend time with God in his word and talking to him in prayer. They see our habits that bring glory to God so that our lives model what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That's how you leave a legacy. We help 
the next generation grab a hold of their inheritance and we show them this is what it means to follow God in obedience. After a particularly bad tropical storm, one beach town had thousands of starfish washed up on the shore. As a man was walking the shore, he noticed a little boy who was picking up starfish and putting them back into the water. And he said, son, what are you doing? You can't possibly take care of all of those starfish. The little boy just kept on doing it. He yelled to him, forget it, you'll never get them all. You might as well stop. What difference does it make? The little boy looked up at him, picked up a starfish, put it back in the water and said, made a difference to that one. See, you and I will probably never have buildings named after us. We'll never leave a a legacy that will be written up in the history books. But you can make a difference to that one. You can make a difference to that circle around you by being a godly example and showing the next generation how to grab a hold of what God has for them and to follow him in obedience. Joshua teaches us, leave a legacy of lives impacted for Jesus. And that's a far greater legacy than any estate you can leave. Lives impacted for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, that is my desire. I know it's the desire of many of my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. We may never be people of influence as the world considers influence. But help us to be godly examples to those who are watching. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ or watching that doesn't know Christ, help them to desire to know you. We pray in Jesus' name.